Hi, I'm Naomi Kerbel, your usual host for Talking Cop, but excuse the husky voice, I've managed to get the mandatory cop cold. So for this special edition of Talking Cop, I'll be handing over the reins to Vivian Paxinos, Chief Executive of the Global Women's Network Albright. To mark COP's Gender Day, we brought together the UK, where COP was hosted last year, Egypt, where it is this year, and the UAE, where it will be next year, to ask, are women's voices being heard when it comes to climate change? Over to Viv. Welcome to this LinkedIn live stream hosted by Albright to mark Gender Day at the UN Climate Change Conference COP27 in Egypt. I'm Vivian Paxinas, the Chief Executive Officer at Albright, the global career network for women. I met Albright headquarters here in London today, and I'm going to be joined by guests in Sharm el-Sheikh, where the COP Climate Change Summit is taking place, and in Dubai, where it's happening next year. The plan is to spend the next 30 to 45 minutes exploring where are we today, where we hope to be next year, and what needs to happen to help us get there. At Albright, we firmly believe you've got to see it to be it. We are about empowering women to take action. But we know, although we are responsible for the life we want to create for ourselves, some women are not the authors of their own story. Women continue to bear a disproportionate burden from the adverse impacts of climate change. And yet their perspectives, their perspectives of women whose voices are underrepresented in climate, in climate discussions are instrumental to solving the climate crisis in a more just and fashionable way. We spoke to some of the women on the ground in Sharm el-Sheikh to ask them how they thought things were progressing in terms of getting central to the discussion around climate. Thanks very much, Viv. Um, Heather Buchanan, I'm the co-founder of Bankers for Net Zero. We're the UK country chapter of the Net Zero Banking Alliance. Absolutely, one kind of startling fact that I learned this morning is that of the 111 keynote speakers here at COP, only seven of them were female which is um, an extraordinary an extraordinary number. And so there's certainly a long, long way to go in terms of getting our voices heard, heard out there. Um, interestingly, I work in the banking, well, with, between politics and, and the finance sector, I'd say a, the majority of the kind of climate leads that I work with are women within the actual organizations, but then they tend to not be the ones that actually get the, the keynote speakers, as it were. They're kind of the, the, a lot of the strength behind it, but not necessarily the face of it. Thank you, Heather. I'm just going to jump in. Let me just introduce all our fantastic panelists. We're joined by Heather Buchanan, as you've just heard, from Bankers Net Zero, Avery Johnstone from KPMG COP27 Youth Envoy, um, who are at the COP27 conference in Egypt. And we have Habiba Al-Marashi, co-founder of the Emirates Environmental Group, who is in Dubai, which is where COP28 uh, will be held next year. So thank you, all of you, for joining us this morning. So I'm going to start with you, um, Avery. Give us some observation of how many women are participating in the conversation this year. We've heard just now a little bit from Heather, but give us your perspective. I think year over year, we've seen the number of women participating in COP increase. You know, we saw it in Glasgow last year. Women came out in absolutely full force and, and they're doing so again at COP27 here in Sharm el-Sheikh. The interesting observation, as Heather kind of alluded to, is really what is happening at the leadership level. So we see a number of women, particularly young women, coming out in the NGO and multilateral spaces. The youth pavilion is absolutely inundated with young women like myself, which gives me a lot of hope for the future and it makes me really excited. But when we see that very stark picture, as I think has been 
you know, gone viral on, on social media of those seven women in leadership positions, you see and you kind of start to question where that breakdown of, of gender equality really exists and where that breakdown of engagement in, in the way we ascend to leadership positions is really is. So it's kind of fascinating to me. I have a lot of questions about it. I think on the other side of that, we do see women quite heavily represented in the ESG space across the private sector, which is incredibly exciting. But again, it makes me question, are women being siloed into ESG as a kind of profession? They're not represented the same way across finance, across risk, across other parts of and service lines of businesses. So are they being siloed into ESG? And then equally, how do we kind of normalize ESG across those various service lines? So those are a few of kind of my initial observations. I think it's really an exciting time to see so many more women coming out, but I'm really keen to, to better understand where those kind of missing links are in terms of how we get young women who are so deeply engaged all the way up to those decision-making spaces. And what are some of the, the key issues you're seeing in terms of gender and climate and co- climate impact? And how can, from your point of view, policymakers, companies in the private sector, leaders can help? There's a number of ways in which I think women, uh, particularly from a financial perspective, are disproportionately impacted. And the biggest one that comes to mind is their access to climate finance. And we see this across particularly the global south. And and it's a shame that we don't have kind of representation from, from Africa on this panel because it's a really important voice that I think is missing here. But one in which I think, you know, hopefully we can allude to in terms of our, our solutions. And so when it comes to climate finance, women are disproportionately not able to access it, both from a number of different reasons, their lack of education in many parts of the world, their accessibility to just wider financial systems, let alone climate finance. They're disproportionately represented in refugee and migrant communities because of climate change. And so how we start to see these kinds of various perhaps challenges manifesting themselves in the finance space is is one to kind of keep note of. One thing I want to kind of bring to the fore when it comes to perhaps a solutions orientation is really actually a letter that was published by an organization called Gender Smart, which is focused on climate finance and and what they call Gender Smart Climate Finance, has published a letter ahead of COP27 with 2X and uh, the Women in Finance Climate Action Group. And that really focuses on women's access to climate finance, gender-inclusive climate policy, which we know we're not seeing uh, at a particularly high level all around the world. We see it actually predominantly in countries that are impacted most by physical risk, and that tends to be predominantly in the global south at the minute. Obviously, we know that that's going to change and evolve. But I guess my question is, or or my kind of interest would be, how do we look at countries in the global north and look at gender-responsive climate policy and climate finance in a different way? So that's kind of one key piece. The other is gender metrics. How are we actually measuring the amount of women and and non-binary folks that we are that are impacted by climate risk and climate disaster both from a physical risk and transition risk perspective and then lastly a big gender gap in kind of decision making spaces so i think to answer your question those are kind of four key points that are laid out in this letter from gender smart but i reiterate that there's a, you know a number of solutions that we could look into within those kind of four key areas and where I think finance has a particularly pertinent role to play in both democratizing access for women, but also within our own companies, being able to support, mentor, and and let women kind of take leadership roles, not just in the ESG space, but more broadly, and kind of change that gender dynamics and uh, from the top down. Absolutely. Thanks, Avery. I just want to build on those two points, and I'm going to go to Heather for that. Heather, you, 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 uh, the two last um points that Avery made. So we can we know that UN studies show that 80% of people displaced by climate change are women. And despite the progress, as we just heard, 30% of lead negotiators 
Only 30% of lead negotiators are women. You're one of the most senior women at uh, COP this year. What, what are your impressions about who's at the table? It's, it's, it's always going to be disappointing, isn't it, when we have such a, a disproportionate um, amount of uh, representation, bearing in mind the, the impact levels. So I think to a certain extent, it's an aspiration that, we, that hopefully the conversation started this year and maybe let's, you know, our, our ambition for next year is to hopefully make this a discussion point and something that we can, we can build on and make us stronger for the, for the coming years. And, it would, and that would be a fantastic opportunity, certainly for Dubai. Give, give everyone a sense of the progress that's made. Is it different from last year? Is it better? What, what, what are you seeing year, in terms of year-on-year progress? It's a difficult thing to, to say, I think, because we were the hosts, we were in the host country last year where we felt a lot more kind of involved with the entire process. And that was just naturally by, by virtue of the fact that it's, in, you know, it's only a couple hours away from my house. Whereas the, I think some of the comments, comments I've had from people this year, they're saying you know, they do realize just how kind of remote we actually are from a lot of the, the issues that, that are mm-hmm. at the forefront here. Um, you know, we, we kind of talk a good talk, as it were, but probably don't really take to heart and understand the kind of deeper complexities that we need to go for. And we heard about the challenges around climate finance. Talk us through what is the finance sector doing um, to help? Well, I think first and foremost, it, it's important to to know that there's there's no shortage of money out there, and and this is the thing. Their financial system is absolutely awash with capital right now. It's having a hard time deploying that sometimes, primarily because of the, you've got a system. I mean, our entire value system has been based on you know, the bottom line for quite a long time and how we measure value has very much just been you know the cost that comes down on your product and that's been that that actual you know ledger system that we've got the P&Ls everything has been built up over you know, quite a few hundred years now and now in a matter of decades we're having to redo how we do how we value things and so the actual financial system is working very hard at it but it's difficult because it just how how do you kind of embed we're we're getting there with the e side of it but particularly the s and the g element there's just the metrics aren't there and so i think a lot of the there's almost a, a level of frustration that there's a lot of capital out there but i really how do we ensure that it's going to an esg fund that actually is delivering results and how do we it's back to the measurement point and and i think that's probably one of the area where there's the most work and the most frustration as well what do we do to solve that? We know that when you've got, when the research has proven that, you know, women are leaders are more environmentally responsible, socially responsible, can drive better profits. So if you link it back to that value and that P&L, you know, what, what do we do to, to, to make progress from that perspective and that kind of value system? I mean, fundamentally, I, th- I think there's got to be a, a shift in in almost what the meaning of fiduciary duty is. And that's certainly something that, that we've looked at. And I know there's the kind of a campaign for a better business act. I mean, certainly within the UK, at the end of the day, I've, I've heard the term fiduciary duty uses a fig leaf for quite a few poor decisions, I would say, on a social level and an environmental level. So we really do have to get to the heart of what, does, what do we value? I mean, there's a very interesting project that I've been involved in called Rewired Earth. And that's very much how do we get the 
the market signals and how do we turn the markets into a force for good? And until we kind of do that, but this, I mean, it's, it's an absolutely fundamental shift in the way that we that we measure success. And until we get that kind of common language going and the right data that sits behind it, we're almost trying to kind of change the rules of the game on a broken market. And we, so yeah. we really do need to kind of recenter those markets. And that's obviously quite a big deal when, when we're fundamentally redefining value. Thank you, Heather. I want to bring Habiba into this discussion. Before we, we come to you, Habiba, we do now have the Vox Pops. I know a lot of my friends are, are really interested in replacing their plastic usage uh, with eco-friendly, even, do uh, you know, like uh, the tooth bags and stuff we hear. We're always interested in this and all um, any new uh, brand or startup who has uh, an eco-friendly based or interested in just saving our planet, we always get show support and um, like buy stuff from it. Uh, I guess these little things is what matters and uh, it definitely will make our voices are heard. Even in regular business, when we make millions of garments, we have to cut away millions of necklines and that is considered acceptable to throw into our landfills, where we have found an innovative way to actually tackle another problem called period poverty. And so from all of our necklines, we have made additional underwear and sanitary pads for over 100,000 girls to date. And our commitment in the next few years is to help a quarter million more. We're hoping to inspire the other players in the textile industry to do likewise. Just educate people, that's exactly what we're also trying to do with kids. Uh, by giving the knowledge, you gave the possibility to choose and when you give the possibility to choose, um, I think the narrative becomes easier and it's easier to convey the message uh, and make the change. I hope this uh, conference will uh, do uh, how it, uh, it works uh, because climate change, we, uh, we suffer from climate change, especially Africa, you know, we have a lot of problems. So I hope it works, inshallah. Okay, some, um, some positive attitudes from, from those women. Um, Habib, I'm going to move over to you now. Why is climate change and gender so deeply interlinked? When you look at any issue, whether it's economic, political, socio-cultural, environmental, it impacts women. And women are proportionately half of the planet. So it may be a universal issue, an issue like climate change, but actually the way it affects males and females is, is different. And many researches have been done to that effect, and you can see results if you are looking at World Bank, you are looking at ILO, you are looking at UN ECOSOC and other bodies. They bring many issues of why they have seen key elements of the change of the impact of climate change between men and male and female. So there is the gender inequality. For example, if you look at migration, when you have an, in, a, in a place where it is already suffering and seeing the result of the impact of climate change on that particular area, whether we are talking about water scarcity or we are talking about desertification, which means that there will be disruption in the patterns of life of the people living in those places. So you will either see in migration or you will see out migration, and particularly in Africa, as that lady in the film mentioned, there are parts of Africa where the 
water scarcity is reaching to a level that will be very dangerous and scarcer, which means that people will have to uproot themselves and move. So when they are doing that, who is the one taking the decision of the, of the movement of the family? Usually it will not be, in many cases, the woman that decides that. So the woman is at the receiving end of this kind of uh, uh, disruption and changing of uh, decisions and making the points. And you have other areas we will have that have more water resources. They will be witnessing a lot of uh, migration that comes to them from different parts of, of the region. And that will put them again under very strong stress and vulnerabilities. And the women are tasked then to, for the family to settle, to find the water, the resources, the employment, the food for their families and all these kind of things. So you will find, you know, a lot of this disparity. We look at agriculture, for example. Agriculture is one of the biggest issues that is being impacted by climate change. When this happens, it means that women, because women are the majority of the workforce that are employed in this part of the world, whether we are talking in the Arab region or we are talking in Africa, it's women that are really working in those fields. So it means that they will need to work extra hard to ensure that they deliver. And that will put extra stress on the family. The girls will need to leave their schools so that they join their mothers to help them. So unfortunately, climate change is not uh, gender neutral. You know, it does affect, but it affects women disproportionately than uh, men in that regard. Indeed. So what, I'm, what you're saying is, of course, women need more access to the natural resources, and they're often that's a key reason why they're impacted uh, by climate change. Specifically to your region, how do, you, how do you see that in your region? Talk us through some of the challenges you're seeing around your region. You know, again, we will look at... Um, the, the GCC region, for example, our challenges is different, you know, because of the climatic condition that the, the region is, you know, it's a, it's a desert environment, uh, high temperatures, scarcity of water, air pollution. There are so many challenges that are here. But then you are looking at how do you tackle them and what is happening. And I enjoyed uh, Heather's uh, you know, contribution to say the role of the financial institutions. Because again, you know, finances are the dynamo that makes the machine move. And uh, to have the right type of finances, whether you are talking about women entrepreneurs, providing them the startup money that is required for them to start businesses, building the capacity of female in this particular region to deal with issues of climate change is, is still as it, at its nascent. We are not talking about the educational part of it. There's a lot of education and there's a lot of good, solid programs, modules that are in our universities and colleges to ensure that um, uh, the young ladies are very well equipped and equipped and educated in this field. I'm talking about the general mainstream. I'm talking about the, you know, those areas, those ladies that are marginalized, that are in the farms, that are in the remote areas. How do you bring them and how do you help them become, you know, less susceptible to uh, the changes that is happening on the climate level? As mentioned, there's a lot of finances out there, but we are yet to see that channeled into the right way of helping women, helping girls to look into it. And when I say capacity building, not necessarily you're looking at formal education. Yes, they can have the main uh, primarily required formal education, but then you need to pull them into vocational type of 
training, capacity building, where it will help them to be street smart, able to deal with the challenges that is dished out at them, able to deal with issues of, of climate change and the manifestation of climate change in all its severity or in its, even if it is a small issue. How do you determine the uh, vulnerability of a nation? These are the issues that will impact if the nation is able to effectively adapt and adopt solutions, ways of life to enable the other half of the society to tackle with it, then yes, they will be less gender inequality and as a, as a country, as a society, will be able to deal more with these kind of uh, challenges. And I think we need to look at what are the other areas that come to be huddles in front of uh, women, whether we are looking at race or we are looking at age, we are looking at color, we are looking at language that they have, we are looking at religious perspective, we are looking at political affiliation or others. So these are all issues that affect as well and exacerbate the impacts of climate change on women and girls. Thank you for that. What, what are the few things that need to be done now to stop women from bearing all that burden and the effects of climate change? So we need to have those difficult discussions, you know, which were not being, as mentioned, you know, uh, connecting women with climate change was not an issue that was brought forward. It's just now that we are entering into areas that were not trodden on very well. So these are difficult issues and these are difficult questions that need to be asked. Yes, you are talking about, you know, when you look at the 500 biggest companies in the world, when you look at the leadership. So one of the issues that needs to be put on the table is the issue of leadership, women leadership in, in the sphere of climate change, in the sphere of sustainable development, in the sphere of connecting women and sustainable development goal number 13. So we need to be very specific and very focused and we take step by step, but we take firm steps on those directions. We need to have all the players. I think one of the challenges that this issue has faced until now is the lack of leadership in this uh, issue. And I think that is very important to be brought into the table to support women, bring them to the fore, build their capacity. Even if they don't have it, it is the duty of the whole, the society as a whole to ensure that we are building the, the, those capacities so that no one is left behind. And really, I believe when we all work together, whether we are north or south, and we understand that the challenges facing us is, is a universal challenges and it will not differentiate if we are from the north or we are from the south or we are from this gender or that gender. If we understand that we are in this together, then we will really learn how to bring about solutions that will support all of us and it will less the burden actually on all of us as well because if we are talking only about the north and all the education is there finances are there there's a lot of understanding when you are talking about the financial institutions and the language that is spoken in the financial institution there's a lot of understanding today of sustainability issues there are a lot of good products that are coming out there are good legislations policies that are enabling financial institutions to be nicely pulled into the fore but when you come to this part of the world you know generally Financial institutions are still out of the equation, you know, so we need those type of holding hands, talking with each other, understanding that language, and then uh, be able to discuss it in a very civilized way, understanding that climate-induced humanitarian disasters will, again, 
if, uh, affect all of us, but it will be very harsh on women versus men. You raise really valid points, Habiba. We know that when you look at the Fortune 500 companies, they only have 6% female leaders at the top, right? So that's not good enough. When you look at the data um, for women of color and diversity, that's, it's, it's, scary, it's scary, right? It's, it's, it's not good enough. So Heather Avery, this is the first year that I'm really hearing more about that conversation about female representation at COP. Why is it just happening now? It's a great question, Viv. And just to build on what Habiba was saying, I think one of the other key points that might be missed in this conversation, one of the other kind of key infrastructure points where I think that the financial sector can have a real impact from a business lens is actually looking at caregiving. I think a lot of women around the world are compounded in this, you know, particularly women who sit within that sandwich generation of caregiving for aging parents and caregiving for children, which is really inhibiting their ability to contribute to this wider ESG conversation. And so I even know at COP27, you know, we've had we have panels scheduled later today and we've struggled to find women to be able to contribute to them because a lot of women who were here for finance day have actually left to gone home to care for children. And so how do we fundamentally better support women um, to be able to fully engage in this conversation, to be able to fully access green jobs, to be able to fully upskill when we're compounded by this, by this care burden. And so that was just one piece I wanted to, to, add on to what Habiba was so, you know, so eloquently saying about those various challenges that we're facing kind of all over the world. It's not necessarily a global North versus South conversation when it comes to, to care. They're very different and, and access is very different, but that wider kind of socio-cultural piece uh, remains the same when it comes to women's caregiving roles in, in a family structure. To go back to your actual question, there's such progress that we're seeing year over year at COP, but I I'm struggling to understand and, and to kind of conceptualize where we go from here and how we get women in those decision-making spaces. It feels oftentimes very challenging, especially kind of coming from my perspective, being a young person to, you know, you know that there's so much opportunity and we're so deeply engaged in this conversation. You know, we've got real stake in the game. I'm I'm 25 years old, you know, 2050, I'll still be in the workforce. I won't be retired by that point. I'll hopefully have children by that point. So there's a real sense of urgency, particularly for young women in, in that space. But when we don't necessarily have role models, there's not necessarily mentorship programs, there's not necessarily kind of wider networks for women in climate. I know this is something that's, you know, we're working on. Mary Robinson's just launched one or is launching one today, which is deeply exciting. But I think we need to kind of also set a roadmap for young women and their participation, um, both in ESG and within the finance sector to be able to kind of see see where we go from there and, and be able to build on that progress in that snowballing kind of way. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think one of the interesting things, and you, you kind of talk, we're talking about transition plans and the role of business and everything in here. And one of the big real successes, I think, from last year was the, the transition plan that we're making transition plan and basically mandatory for larger companies in the UK. And there's a fantastic, there's a, there's a task force working on the thing. I think once we really start to flesh out those, the, the details of the transition plan, that's going to be a massive opportunity to really start to benchmark this, this progress in a way that we can kind of hopefully create a glide path and a just transition rather than the cliff edges, which inevitably will happen if we don't have that fleshed out. So I think that, and it's an interesting point you say about the caregiving element as well, because I, cer I certainly still regularly get asked, I, I live in Scotland, work in London, obviously I'm away here for two weeks, and I am still asked quite regularly whether or not my husband minds that I go away for, for that, that amount of time and whether my children mind. It's still a conversation. It's still a thing. And people go, the they would never ask him the same thing. No. So, mm -hmm. um, 
it it's that stuff that's that's really really kind of deeply ingrained but i do see with you know, i've got um every year we have placement students that come and work with us and i've got a, a younger team and i do see such a difference and i would say that I've, I've kind of been called up on things before as well you know it does give me a, a great deal of hope that things will be changing and I, one other thing that is quite interesting is there is very much an acknowledgement that I'm seeing in at the kind of C-suite in boards and financial institutions and larger companies that actually they are the kind of acknowledging that there is a bit of, well, we're the old guard here and, mm. and, they, and we're, we're going to have to adapt. And a lot of that actually is coming from employees and the, the younger workforce really starting to kind of jump up and down and say, well, this is not something I want to be part of unless we're going in this direction. Um, yeah. So again, that's, that gives me cause for optimism and for my kids. And I see a lot of acknowledgement. What I don't see enough of from um, big corporations is strategy to actually make that change and, and, and create actionable change, which I think is key to, Avery, you mentioned at the beginning where usually ESG tends to be that a female leading that, but we need more than just ESG. We need the executives, we need the CEOs, we need the seniors at these big corporations to really engage and come up with really strong strategies that will help us drive that action. I think if, if I may add one point to that as well, to, to Habiba's point, it's about intersectionality and intersectional, you know, climate justice and, and strategy that way. We can't just necessarily, you know, put a bunch of women on a board and expect amazing things to happen. So if we're looking at those kind of various traits of whether it's race, whether it's um, income, whether it's geography, whether it's language, whether it's, you know, all of these different pieces, whether it's sexual identity, whether it's you have children, you don't have children, we need a diverse range of people to be contributing to to our overall strategy or else it's not going to be effective. You know, I had someone once tell me, oh, well, we're not going to get to, you know, it, gender equality is not going to matter if the world's on fire in 2050. And in front of hundreds of people, I got a bit spicy and I said, well, the world's not going to be on fire and by 2050 if you start to engage women and, and other, you know, particularly marginalized groups in this conversation now. These solutions that we're focused on and, and it's slightly challenging from a financial sector perspective, but the wider kind of conversation around climate solutions needs to have women deeply engaged. It needs to have Indigenous people. It needs to have all of these things and, and young people in particular. So when it comes to your, you know, the question about climate strategy in particular, I would urge organizations to consider, as you say, Heather, the, you know, your younger population, because they're deeply engaged in this conversation. How do you create kind of youth networks or youth advisory boards or committees that are gender diverse, that are racially diverse, that have kind of climate justice at the heart of them to even bounce ideas off of. You know, we might not be experts in financial systems because we're so new in our careers, but we can share a perspective that might otherwise be missed from other people that kind of sit in one very specific demographic of power and, and fundamentally changing that to be able to democratize access to power, I think is where we're gonna come to really inclusive solutions. It might take a little bit longer, but I think taking a little bit longer and doing it in a thoughtful way will inevitably end up in a better place than rushing to have a climate strategy that's not going to be sustainable in and of itself and not engaging young people, not engaging women and not engaging marginalized communities is an absolute mistake for businesses today. I, I've got time for one more question. There's a comment in the, uh, in the, in the chat that says, I hope Dubai recognizes the global reaction to the lack of women representing the climate at COP27, come back stronger, equal, and so let me take that and build on to one more question for each of you. 
what do you hope COP28 will bring to the region? Um, Habiba, I will go to you, you first, being based in Dubai. Um, what do you hope it's going to bring to the region next year? I really look forward that it will be a manifestation of uh, the results and resolutions that were adopted in COP27. I look forward to a very strong collaboration of the international, regional and national efforts, inclusive of governance measures in the face of climate uh, change. I look forward and I know that COP28, one of the main themes will be youth. So there is a lot of youth empowerment. You are talking about youth councils that is already nicely uh, taking place. And you, you know, since it was announced that UAE is hosting COP28, you would see everybody has started jumping on board. Everybody is, is really rallying around this whole concept. And I'm seeing a beautiful unity, exactly like during the time that we saw for Expo 2020, everybody, regardless of their gender, nationalities, Space in life, you know, a position, whatever, everybody was working to the same goal. So I really look forward to building a lot of synergies, giving leadership roles. And at Emirates Environmental Group, we are known for our strong outreach programs that we engage all sectors of the society. And you will be amazed to see in every single program that we do, particularly I have a program next week. It's a competition between universities and colleges on the level of the Arab world. And you would see around 60 to 65% of the competing teams are girls. And, and they are very passionate about the different sustainability issues and, and coming up with practical solutions that needs to be put in front to deal with these kind of issues. So I know and I look forward to having gender to be one of the main issues that will be put on the table to be discussed by everybody, to be mainstream. We need to get out of the comfort zone, really. We need to bring these issues uh, out, up there, and we need to have a practical, tangible solutions. As ECOSOC was saying, that they they are advising that um, the issue of uh, gender equality and other requirements connecting these two issues should be in all the regulations, practices on the national level, ensuring that it meets with the global requirements and obligation so that, you know, there is a good positive synergy that comes out of it that will help us deal with this by 2030. And, you know, UAE has announced 2050 to be carbon neutral country. So that requires a lot of work and we cannot afford to leave half of the society not included. So I think, you know, I'm looking forward and I'm very optimistic, and very excited to be, inshallah, hosting COP28 in Dubai. Look forward to see you all here. Thank you, Habiba. Very quickly, I'm going to go to Avery and Heather for quick answers on what you hope um, COP28 will bring. So everybody says that kind of COP26 was commitments and now there's kind of a mobilization. And really, I think the next step, and this is certainly, I'll just speak to the, to the private sector, getting transition plans in place, really setting those, those targets at a very uh, granular level rather than the, just the, the big picture stuff will mean that things really start to move and move in a different direction. And I think that's where we really need to get to. Yeah, I would echo that. I think transition planning is going to be a big piece of this, but I think that kind of demonstrated progress um, is going to be, you know, where I'm really excited to kind of see organizations, particularly the private sector, take space. When we talk about those challenges of metrics, whether it's kind of climate metrics or gender metrics, you know, we know that data availability is a massive challenge facing the private sector right now. And we know that there's a lot of proxy data being used. And I would urge organizations and particularly the private sector not to be afraid of having kind of 
once they bring in the real metrics and they understand the full picture, not being afraid to publish that and speak about, you know, where they are actually at benchmarking it reasonably and then taking demonstrated progress from there. So I think it'll be initially quite a bad picture and then hopefully we'll get we'll get better from there as data availability becomes uh, stronger. Well, thank you, Heather Buchanan, Avery Johnstone, Habiba Marmarashi for that fascinating and thought-provoking discussion. It's really conversations like these that Albright is all about. Um, our mission is to create a world of unlimited possibilities for women. As I mentioned um, when I opened up, research consistently shows that businesses that have more women on leadership teams are more socially environmental responsible. So solving that leadership pipeline and bringing more women on boards is really critical to safeguarding our planet. So we are taking one step further at Albright. We're launching what's called the Albright Alliance. So it's really an opportunity for leading uh, organizations to partner with us and give their female employees the opportunity to thrive. So there's more about Albright in the links below. There is much more coming soon about Albright Alliance. So thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Now, Bankers for Net Zero is hosting a program of events at COP27 in the Green Zone. You can follow them via their website, bankersfornetzero.co.uk, and go to the COP-specific page, and each one of those events has a link to a live stream. And you can subscribe to this podcast to get episodes of Talking COP as soon as they drop on the ground here in Sharm El Sheikh. I'm Naomi Kerbel and you've been listening to Talking Cop from Bankers for Net Zero.